Hello, and welcome to The Embargoed, the only podcast that gives you the unvarnished truth about the world of technology public relations. Our aim is to go behind the headlines to tell you what's really going down and have a little fun in an industry that often takes itself too seriously. Every Thursday, we touch on the top stories of the week, dissecting the worlds of technology, business, politics, pop culture, and whatever else we can examine through the lens of public relations and corporate communications. We promise to be honest, straightforward, and mostly irreverent. We'll never bore you with details about which company announced what, unless, of course, we really like the what. You can never know what it's like. Your blood like when it freezes just like ice. And there's a cold and lonely light that shines from you. You wind up like the wreck you hide. You just fade away Don't you know I'm still standing Better than I ever did Looking like a true survivor Feeling like a little kid And I'm still standing After all this time Today is Thursday, July 8th, 2021 I'm David Oro And along with my host, Kevin Wolf This is The Embargo How's it going, Kevin? David, it's going great, Dan. Happy to be here. Yeah. Um, I like that song. I haven't really listened to it in a long time, but... I'm a big Elton fan. John. I saw him in concert right before the pandemic uh, in San Francisco at the Chase Center, and he was uh, he was outstanding. Oh, was, wasn't it one of the first concerts there? Like, they did it Metallica? Was, it, and then... Yeah, it was like, the, exactly. Metallica was first. I think Elton John was the second concert. I took my oldest son. Uh, we had a great time. It was, uh, I think that was the last time I was in a crowd of so many people before COVID hit. You know, he, he's one of those guys that I think is like a, he's a singer and musician, but really what he is is a performer, right? Yeah. And full on entertainer is it what he is. Spectacular. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. They did a great job. I'm good, man. Everything's going well. How are you? I, I'm good. I got a new computer this week. Uh, and so it's been, uh, uh, it's been a little bit disorientating. But everything's in the cloud, right? I mean, it is a desktop thing. It is, but my computer was so old that I couldn't like easily transfer it. I'm on a Mac. And uh, what I had to do was basically transfer it myself, which took all of Sunday. <laughs> and can't bill anyone, uh, anyone for that time, Dave. No, no, no. But, uh, you know, it, it's going to be good. I still have a few things to do. My office is a mess full of boxes and wires and old computer gear, but. Otherwise, it's like, good. It's like my backyard, man. I'm in the middle of a backyard project, and we got boxes and wires and rock and people and dog is going crazy. It's uh, on, on a slightly different scale, but yeah, my uh, my uh, my my yard, my house is uh, is uh, on its head right now too. Well, it's just my office, so not my backyard. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> hey, dude. Uh, so we were. We were going to just do a show ourselves, and along the way, you found us a guest, and I, I'm actually kind of excited about this. Me too. And because uh, we're going to be talking crisis communications, is that That's what we're right. talking today? Crisis yeah. communications, cancel culture. What 
what organizations can do to prepare, protect, support, um, endure. So I, I want to introduce our guests. Can I, uh, you mind if I get into that? Go ahead. All right, good. So I want to introduce uh, Sarah Brady. And Sarah, I'm going to let you say hi in a minute here, but let me just uh, let people know who you are. Sarah is the founder of Sarah Brady PR, which is a public relations firm based in Orlando, Florida. Sarah's clients are businesses, government agencies, individuals, and nonprofit organizations. Among other, <clears throat> excuse me, among other things, she specializes in crisis and reputation management, which is why we asked her to come on the show today. More on that in a minute. Sarah has played a critical has played critical communication roles in numerous high-profile controversies, including the Trayvon Martin shooting in Sanford, Florida, the death of young singer Christina Grimmie, and the tragedy of Pulse nightclub as well as the Parkland mass shooting in South Florida. She's also served as a subject matter expert for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and CNN. Prior to founding Sarah Brady PR in 2010, she worked as a print journalist, beginning her career at the Orlando Sentinel, where she covered the police beats, courts, and government. She's worked in the defense and cable industries as well. She was named PR Professional of the Year in 2012 by the Florida Public Relations Association and was named one of Orlando Magazine's 50 most powerful people in Orlando for four consecutive years. She lives in Winter Park, Florida. Sarah Brady, welcome to The Embargoed. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Was that, was that, a, was that the right buildup? Did I go to yeah, no, the that? Hey, wow, uh, I'm old. No, you know, no, successful, like high profile, serious stuff. I think I got the award for the most annoying neighbor on my street every year. So, <laughs> Sarah, better. Yeah, yeah, that that that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, so you know, I think I think Sarah's going to be great. I, I reached out to her uh, because I, I really want to talk about uh, crisis communications and cancel culture. There have been some stories in the news I want to get to this week that I think will will bring it home. And I, I think someone with Sarah's expertise can really help our listeners understand how to help their clients or their organizations prepare for crisis events. And, and they inevitably strike. And if you're not prepared for them, uh, you're making a mistake. And so I, I think Sarah's going to help us figure some of that stuff out. So uh, Dave, I've got like this, I want to set this up a little bit, if you don't mind. I, I want to kind of provide a little context for this discussion. Can I do that? Sure, sure. No, no problem. Sarah, did you... you did you want to add any more that wasn't in oh, your yeah. bio? Let's give someone else a chance to talk. No, yeah. Fine. No, it was totally fine. Is that yes. it? Did yeah. you hit the high notes? <laughs> no, it's great. Okay, good. All right. So, she, so she, She's happy to know that I was voted most annoying neighbor. That's what she was really happy about. Well, we, we, shared a, we shared an office cube, Dave. You were the most annoying office cube mate. I don't know if that's, <laughs> that, that's also in that, in that same vein. but um, I, I will update my bio. <laughs> yeah, up. All right. All right. So here we go. All right. Crisis communications has, has been around since, uh, as far as I can tell, since Adam stole the apple from the Garden of Eden and had to explain <laughs> it. Okay. Some of the more famous and recent crisis communications cases include, according to Wikipedia, by the way, uh, the Exxon Valdez oil spill crisis. I remember that one. You remember yeah. that one? Okay. Yeah. That was a big deal, right? Yeah. The, uh, the McDonald's hot coffee crisis. The most ridiculous thing. crisis ever, right? right. You know, but, but a big deal. I think it was parodied on Seinfeld, as a matter of fact. Yes, which, uh, which gives you some status. <laughs> and then the the Toronto Mayor Rob Ford scandals of 2013, 2014. 
Shout out to my Canadian friends. You guys represented well those years, right? right exactly, exactly. Listen up. Uh, now, cancel culture, on the other hand, is a newer phenomenon uh, and increasingly important as it pertains to crisis communications. For the definition, we once again turn to Wikipedia, which says, cancel culture is a modern form of ostracism in which someone is thrust out of social or professional circles, whether it's online or social, on social media or in person. Those subjected to this ostracism are said to have been, quote, canceled. A poll of American registered voters conducted by Morning Consult in July 2020 showed that cancel culture, defined as the practice of withdrawing support for or canceling public figures and companies after they have done or said something considered objectionable or offensive, was common. 40% of respondents said they had withdrawn support from public figures and companies, including on social media, because they had done or said something considered objectionable or offensive. Okay, so I'm setting this up for us here. Now, some famous examples of people and org uh, organizations that have been canceled include Aunt Jemima for perpetuating racist stereotypes, Central Park Karen, who told authorities an African-American man is, quote, threatening my life while the man was apparently bird watching, Harry Potter creator J.K. Rowling, who was canceled for negative comments about people identifying as transgender, and children's book author, Dr. Seuss, who was canceled due to racially insensitive depictions of Asian and black characters. All right, more recently, as in the past week, two relatively high profile cases of cancel, cancel culture have emerged. The first one, Trevor Bauer, a major league baseball player for the Los Angeles Dodgers was canceled for an alleged sexual assault. Two, Rachel Nichols, a white broadcaster at ESPN was canceled for suggesting her employer was promoting a black broadcaster ahead of her to make up for a history of holding people, holding back people of color. All right, for the purposes of our discussion today, David, Sarah, we're gonna set aside the question of whether or not we like or dislike cancel culture. Instead, we're gonna focus on the fact that it is a very, very real issue for every organization. And as such, every organization needs to consider its cancel culture communications strategy. You guys all on board with that? Yes, sir. All right. David, you feeling good about the topic? Yes, sir. Okay. <laughs> now, I'm going to ask the first question because, Sarah, we need you. Hey, hey wait, wait, wait. Can, 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 what? Cancel culture? Yeah. If we, when it comes to companies, what didn't it, didn't the old world for that used to be boycott? You just boycotted everything? You and I think out of my mouth. Yeah. That's yeah. And, uh, and I guess boycotting things was okay. And I, I don't want to jump ahead of you, but I feel like that popped up in my head. It's when people showed up that we started, the word cancel came in. I think that's a great way to start. So, so Sarah, help us. Like we somehow we went from, you know, I'm boycotting this brand. I'm not going to support this brand to something bigger. I think with cancel culture, how, how did we get there? What, what's that, transition been like? Well, a cancel culture is the essentially boycotting. I mean, they're really the same thing. You are unhappy, offended, uh, or angry, and no longer want to patronize, support, consume that individual organization product. Um, one of the, um, you know, it was Tipper Gore back in the day, who's the former wife of Al Gore, who boycotted the music industry for the rating systems, you know, she, org they, she organized. So back in the day before social media, boycotting was organized, grassroots kind of structured, strategic, 
initiatives that had real impact and got uh, and, and were substantive, but they were organized um, in a more formal way. I think with cancel culture, um, it's easy because social media has made everything um, open and accessible and everybody's voice is, uh, you know, kind of equal in terms of volume. And so there's, they don't really, you're not really organized like you were because you don't have to be. And so on, you know, something like Twitter, which I am not a fan of, uh, it, you can take somebody out in a matter of minutes, really. Uh, and so that, so I think that's the big difference. So you, you really are getting canceled versus boycotted where, um, you have an opportunity maybe to respond in an organized way or in a formal fashion. And here it's, it's just a free for all. So, um, you know, people's tendencies are to believe the worst about somebody. So when you see something on Twitter, including news media, when they see something on Twitter, it's sort of organically, and I believe incorrectly, is taken as having some level of credibility. And that starts them all rolling. The, 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 or the notion of organization is a big one there. Like before, when you had to do this, you know, in the tactics of public relations, you know, when, when our, uh, in the early days of public relations, you had to rally people and build coalitions and groups, right? You had to go to the unions and the employees, or you had to get businesses on board and get politicians on board, and then the, to sway the public for opinion. Right now, if, I, if I'm someone of influence and followers, I just hit, I don't like this thing, and that's my organization. It's the ease of the boycott, I guess. There's a pile-on effect that is so simple online as to make it you know, incredibly dangerous, right? Like, to your point, uh, you want to boycott something. That's a process. It takes time. Um, this is this can happen in a matter of moments. I mean, it literally does in, in many cases. Um, I would also add, it, back in the day when, when these you know, when boycotts took place, they really were based on um, coordinated information and coordinated communication. So people were saying the same thing and they essentially had their facts or their opposite, their reasons for opposition. And in, in, a, in a case of cancel culture here, because it's so sort of loosey goosey, you can say anything. And then the, you'll have the basic facts and then people start again, piling on and it may not be true, but it builds up momentum but in a, in a, a boycott, they're generally um, pretty well constructed. And there are some, you know, it's got framework to it. And people didn't really go off the rails and start just saying anything. Um, they, had their, they had their, you know, top three gripes um, and concerns and would stick to, to basic information that you could consider pretty much either um, fact or um, opinion that could be justified. If we go back and look at the Tipper Gore example, I'm trying to go back in my memory of that. I told you. I I yeah, but I, I remember that because I, I was, I think I was young at the time as well. <laughs> and uh, it was around uh, gangster rap, I think. Wasn't the music at the time? Was it gangster rap? And the, 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 the language the that was, system. yeah, and the rating systems around it. And the rating systems it is still in use today, I believe, on well, not, not really, because nobody's buying CDs. You're just streaming music. Um, I don't think that stopped anything other than to make people who organized this boycott to feel good about themselves, <laughs> you know, because music just kept on going, you know. Mm. But it, it, um, does, 
but but when you it, it does put pressure on the organizations themselves and, and i think that's one of the things i wanted to talk about right so let's take a look at the case of trevor bauer so you know he's a uh, very successful pitcher for the los angeles dodgers um he is one of the highest paid players um at his position i, I think in the history of the sport uh, he's a controversial figure anyway. He's said and done things over the last uh, few years that have given some people pause. And yet at the beginning of this year, before this season started, the Dodgers you know, signed him to this mega contract and, uh, and kind of went all in with him and, and whatever warts he came with because of his ability on the field. Um, then this case came up a couple of weeks ago. The details are really disturbing. Uh, and I think, and yet, you know, uh, Trevor Bauer has yet to be charged with a crime. Now he was suspended by major league baseball for a week, uh, which is, um, uh, in line with kind of the terms of major league baseball's agreement with the players union, uh, that, uh, one week suspension, I think it, it, uh, wrapped up today, but the players union agreed to an additional week while major league baseball. And I guess the district attorney in Los Angeles continue to investigate the case. But from the perspective of Major League Baseball and the organization, you've got a situation where someone hasn't been charged with a crime, but the facts of, or, or but the details of the case are are public. The organization then is Major League Baseball and the Dodgers are faced with a, uh, a a conundrum: what what to do? Should they, you know, move forward and distance themselves aggressively from Trevor Bauer based on uh, what's out there, or should they? wait. So Sarah, what, what's the, what's the right guidance? Uh, you know, if, if you were asked by major league baseball or the Dodgers to consult on this issue, uh, whether to move away or, or to stick by their guy, what kind of advice would you give? Well, I would start off in this conversation that no two cases are the same. There are no yeah. absolutes. Uh, each one is different. Um, but when you look at the, the industry, so this is sports, uh, sports is, you know, there's, there's a whole different culture in sports than there is in a corporate environment. Um, you know, they have fans, they have girls that chase them and follow them around. And so the sort of sexual activities that, that occur are, um, that's just people understand that and know that that happens in um, professional sports. And, um, and then people understand that these things happen. These, um, these people kind of connect, um, they, you know, do whatever they say they consented to do and carry on. And then these players are at risk of somebody coming back and, and making a claim. In this case, you know, there's been some pretty graphic detail that's been provided and I believe some photos. And um, I think at the end of the day, what the organization is going to look at is their bottom line is how are, you know, they don't really care about him per se or her per se. Um, they're looking at how is this impacting us? Because what a crisis is, is a disruption in your operations. And if this is going to impact ticket sales and attendance and um, you know, operations, then they've got a very serious decision to make. It also comes at the time of you know, the hashtag Me Too uh, movement, which is real. Um, we were just talking about it last week with the Bill Cosby uh, decision to release him from prison. Right. So um, it's the, what the organization is going to look at are their, their fan base, their uh, partnerships, their sponsors, all of that. And how does this affect all of that? It's a really big picture with a lot of layers to look at. It, you know, one would think that you'd immediately, the, the common sense tells you and the common de decency tells you 
in the court of public opinion, you need to you need to cut him loose, give him his day in court, uh, and and you know either keep him on the payroll but suspend him, don't let him play, get him out of public view. Uh, but they've invested a lot of money in him. Um, who knows what his contract details are? Um, and and he's not been charged with anything. So how fair is it to him? So you really have to look at how it's going to impact the business um, from the long term. And uh, you know, it's, again, it's going to go to that bottom line. I think it's the same thing. It's a little different um, because of the circumstances, but um, Colin Kaepernick um, and in the NFL. And you know, it took Roger Goodell years to acknowledge that the you know NFL um, needed to do a better job of you know addressing racism. Um, and, and allowing Kaepernick and others to have their voice. But it was years and it took years for him to say that after so many things happened. And, and he's essentially, you know, his career is over. There, nobody's hiring him to play because exactly. you know, nobody wants to touch him. So, or he got blackballed in, within. So these decisions are tricky, they're delicate, and they're, they're damaging if you make the wrong move. And then I would give you this, I would offer this perspective. Yeah. Um, I think sports is so different from everything else. I worked in the cable business um, for five years and that's where I got to see the behind the scenes business of sports. And it's, it's shocking because it's such big money and it's, um, it's it, the fan base is um, so strong. You really have to take a lot to piss off a sports fan um, in something like this. And you know, how many women are fans of baseball? Oh, they're going to look at all of that. What are their demographics? Right. So, you know, that that's the advice is they have to look at their culture and look at their fan base, look how it's going to disrupt the operations. What's the right thing to do in that? Um, and then you may have somebody with a really big conscience that says, I don't care what any of that matters. He's accused of this. I don't want him part of this. Take him out. Yeah. So we, those we, we, but on, on that last point you just made, we mm -hmm. we we as the public don't ever see too much of that here. Right. Like the decisions in sports and, and in a lot of entertainment is they don't make that conscious decision to make the right decision, I think, in a lot of cases. Um, and it doesn't sound like it's being done here or they're waffling on it um, itself. But, you know, if you did this in the corporate world, uh, you wouldn't have a job right away. Right. That's I true. mean, it, it, you'd be done with um, mm -hmm. There's more but, leeway, but, but there's a time sensitivity aspect to this too, right? Because the Dodgers and, and really any organization, and, and I'm glad you brought up Roger Goodell in the NFL because you're right. It took Goodell years to acknowledge what most of us already understood. Um, I don't think today in 2021, that organizations have the benefit of waiting multiple years or multiple weeks and sometimes even days to make a decision how they want to act on something like this. The pressure from the public is too great uh, in a high well, profile it, situation. Has the NFL been harmed? Well, that's a, great, that's a great point, right? And so I think back to your comment about who their fan base is, who pays for their merchandise, who attends those games, you know, it was a very calculated decision on their part to not do anything because I think from their perspective, most of their fans felt like, you know, um, you know, Kaepernick should have stood for the national anthem, and that's why they didn't act on it. Would you agree? Does that? Mm -hmm. 
I think I think they yes. Um, who, which is the bigger fan base? What's going to impact our dollars? What are we are we able to continue our operations as we have? Right. And um, you know, I don't know that the NFL has suffered anything other than you know some bad news stories. And you know, is are they sitting up there saying I don't really care? Okay, bad press. It's worked for uh, and you know not to become political, but it's worked for Donald Trump, his entire administration, and you know that. You know, I don't really care what you write. So this yeah. notion, this this notion of when you did boycotts before, sometimes boycotts actually worked out. Do this notion of cancel culture does it work out, or does it just create headlines? I'm wondering if it has impact. I I, I live here in Napa Valley, and um, we heard about a Chick Fil A coming to town in the town of Napa, and uh, there was an uproar around that around from the LGBT community saying they don't want Chick-fil-A here because the founders there give to, you know, anti-gay causes or discriminatory causes. And I don't know if it was early in the process. We never really heard the decision, but yesterday they announced that Chick-fil-A will not be coming to Napa. This is one of those cancel culture things where your values do not align with the communities in this case. You know, there was there was a little bit here and there saying that, you know, oh, Chick-fil-A is fine. You know, keep your sexuality to yourself and let them do what they need to do. But uh, hearing you say it, it's like, uh, how, how have, are there instances where cancel culture actually made a difference? Yes, I think people have, you know, people have lost their jobs. Um, mm. I think this I think you were, you had referenced, uh, you know, the Karen in the park in New York City who was going after the bird watching the, the right man who was bird watching and yeah lost her job uh you know if you take it down to that level i think a lot of times in these conversations about you know crisis management and crisis communications and these events i always get irritated when i I'm like reliable sources on cnn because they only talk about these big 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 stories what i think is um overlooked is how this cancel culture impacts individuals because mm. they're they're living their lives, whether good or bad. I mean, that Karen girl, whatever her name is, she crazy um, and mean, and <laughs> and she was a liar. But she lost her job. So the reality is, for individuals, it's very impactful. Uh, people lose their, you know, they step out. Some of these people that are have been arrested or even you know charged in the insurrection in Washington, they've lost their jobs. They might have been in, uh, uh, you know, working in public service. They lost their jobs. So um, I think that that's where I think it's way more impactful uh, on um, that people, but nobody really pays much attention to just an individual and how their lives are turned over or, or how they get canceled um, based on that. And certainly with celebrities, you'll see that with celebrities. Um, who the, the guy that used to be Kramer on- um, Yeah, Michael Seinfeld. Richardson, I think his name is, right? Yeah. Comedian, and, yep. Right. And he's never able to work again as a stand-up because he made that, that he had that um, routine where he went on a racist rant uh, and he never recovered from that. And I would tell you, I would argue too that, um, that, you know, a rate race issues, they're virtually, you're virtually unable to recover from those. Although, you know, I'm, I'm sure some people have, but, um, but you're that's an individual, right. that's a celebrity that, that, you know, he's not around, he's been canceled. And, and it's it's a slippery slope, um, you know, because I think on the one hand, we want to make sure that people are held to account for the things that they say and do. I don't think anyone would disagree with that, whatever side of the aisle, however you feel about 
cancel culture, I think if there, if, if people say or do things um, that are offensive um, or, or worse, they, they should be held to account. But, you know, I think as a, as a society, we have to kind of figure out where that line is, like what does the punishment fit the crime? So I'll, I'll give you a, a kind of a personal example. Um, my son plays on a, a baseball team here in town and the coach of the team made some disparaging um, kind of racially insensitive comments at the beginning of the season to a couple of the kids on the team. And he was trying to make a joke and uh, it was in poor taste. And uh, the, the administration called him in, uh, talked to him. I guess the conversation didn't go well and he was fired. And, you know, they, the, they notified the team, the parents, and the, uh, they notified the kids on the team and the parents of the kids on the team. And, and that was it. I mean, it was basically like one day he was here and the next day he was gone. I mean, he was as canceled as you can be. And, you know, the things that he said, um, I, I certainly, you know, can appreciate why, uh, you know, why he should not have said them, why they would have been taken a, a certain way by uh, some people. On the other hand, you know, this man, uh, he won't work in this industry in this area again. His livelihood is is changed. It's over, um, you know, and, uh, you know, that's a that's a pretty serious uh, consequence for what he probably thought at the time was, uh, you know, uh, a casual comment or, or a joke. So I, I think it's a, it's a cancel culture is definitely a slippery slope. But from the perspective of a of an organization, uh, I, I guess I my feeling is you probably don't have the benefit of of waiting of thinking too hard about it, you probably need to err on the side of, um, you know, uh, of, of getting out in front of it and, uh, you know, letting someone go or, or canceling them. I, I, I mean, I'm, all, I'm a big fan of doing the right thing. I think an organization fares much better by taking a strong position for just saying, it's, it's just wrong. We, it's unfortunate, you know, he hasn't been charged with it, but we, we believe her. Um, yep. Or we can't, or we have to take, we have to take what she's saying seriously. And it's, it's disturbing enough that we're just uncomfortable with all of it. So we may not, while we may not be able to prove it, and certainly, you know, the lawyers are going to clean that up, but um, I don't think an organization can ever go wrong by erring on the side of good. The trouble is, again, it goes back to, they're looking at the bottom line and they're looking at the disruption and, you know, who are the fans? And so, in, and I think in sports, it's really, really tricky because the fans um, are vocal and spend a lot of money and they're loud, you know, they're very, they're serious. And so it's just kind of, I think it's just different. Um, but I think if more sports organizations um, kind of responded that way, you know, in a, quicker way, in a um, maybe a more honorable way, uh, in a kinder way, they might they might get more fans. Uh, you know, who knows? You know, I, I want to go back. Your point is well taken on the well taken on the individual, right? That this comes down to individual. A lot of this cancel culture comes down to the individual, and a lot of individuals are impacted. We talked about you know uh, Central Park and her dog. Um, probably just a nice lady overall, but on, when it comes to companies too, I guess I, I would think that cancel culture there has not necessarily had as a big an impact. It may 
impact over time. I mean, for a little bit, but not often, right? So, you know, we'll take, you know, the My Pillow guy. Uh, you know, the people on the left wanted to cancel him right away for his, his uh, um, views on the election, but the people on the right bought all the pillows. Right, it's 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 almost balanced it out in a sense, and I'm 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 having a hard time finding an issue where you know the people organized on social media to cancel a corporation out or a product out that um, that had an impact. Right. Um, well, so Dave, like, so so that that brings up a good point. I think this this notion of how do you get back to normal like what what's how do you move forward well like yeah and and i feel like the news cycles move so quickly right that you can like actually just ride it out ride it out for a while but that's not the norm of corporate communications advice not, right? not to mention you, you you run the risk of looking like you're um you're missing the point like you don't appreciate the seriousness of a matter like if you're if your position is so, so this let's let's connect this to the Rachel Nichols Maria Taylor issue, right over at ESPN, where I think so. You know, for anyone who doesn't doesn't really know, Rachel Nichols is a, a broadcaster for ESPN. She works on their NBA coverage, and she made a comment uh, uh, that was recorded without her being aware of it, and it was shared within ESPN. And she her comment was something to the effect of her colleague Maria Taylor was going to. Um, get an assignment um, because ESPN was trying to make up for the fact that it had done a lousy job of promoting and supporting uh, people of color in its past. And so, you know, what the NBA decided to do, first of all, Rachel Nichols was not reprimanded or, or suspended or anything initially. And instead, what they've done more recently is they've uh, said that she's not going to work the NBA finals, which began this week. And, you know, they, they kind of pointed to, look, we don't want to create a distraction for the teams that are in the finals. But I think what the NBA is trying to do is trying to say, well, maybe if we just, you know, don't put her on the finals coverage, um, maybe this will just blow over. Um, so, Sarah, is that the right approach in some cases? Well, I, you know, yes. I mean, taking a small step, it can be. I think in this case, it was the distraction moving her created a distraction. Right. So I think that that kind of, and, you know, we've all written those statements that are benign that say, you know, that we don't want to create a dis, you know, distraction. Um, but I sort of think in this case that that is what happened. I, and nobody seems to care that she got recorded and somebody leaked something that she thought was a private conversation. I, I feel like in this day and age, what's happened is we have, kind of lost the ability to think critically and to, for, to really, you know, it doesn't take a whole lot of time, but to really look at an issue and what actually happened and what is actually being done and does it make sense? Was this such an egregious wrong? Um, she didn't, she's not the one that's, you know, making a racial issue. She's commenting about her company and their right. behavior. And so I, I think what's happened is, you know, everybody has these knee-jerk reactions. And again, it's a racial theme. And that's where it starts getting really tricky. That I think the racial issues and um, any of these, um, you know, sexual harassment issues, those kinds of things right now, um, race more so than anything, but 
those are so tricky and such hot buttons um, that that's where everybody kind of gets panicked. And so, how, how do you advise for that? I, I immediately, you know, tell people that, you know, let's, let's fact find, let's see what happened. Let's take a breath, find out what happened, give everybody the opportunity to tell us what did or didn't happen. And let's, let's, you know, take, take a step from that and get her, you know, her side of the story and find out, you know, what was the basis of her comment and let her, you know, how does she want to fix it? How does she want to deal with it? I've had great success asking those that are targeted, you know, what do you want to do? What's your goal? What are, you know, what's your intent and long range, what you want to come out of this. And a lot of those conversations are really helpful. If you give people the opportunity to be real and to feel safe um, and, but you got to make it clear. It's like, look, you may get kicked out of here. You may lose your job over this, right. um, but we want to, we want to do the right thing. It's, it's just hard for companies to have, you get the lawyers involved and nothing against lawyers. I work well with them all the time. I went to law school, I got lawyers in the family, but the legal ramifications often drive that decision-making. And that's not necessarily the, you know, it's the court of law versus the court of public opinion at the end. And, you know, the court of law, the rules are the same. Everybody knows what they are. Um, they're not going to change in the rule, the court of public opinion. It's just a free for all. And you just don't know um, you can you can kind of figure out if you do this, this will happen or it, you know, something else could happen. Uh, but it's the court of public opinion that is going to matter when it comes to, you know, a business staying functional, operations continuing or for people to stay in their positions. You know, it, it's operations. And well, it's yeah. And then, and in the meantime, while you are having that conversation with the client or the victim or whoever we may want it to be social media is run amok with speculation, right? And who, who is there a process there of just waiting until you get all your ducks in a row before you say something or, or, or do you go out there and try to say, say something else and try to squelch that? Cause I think bad out there. Social media just is, it's such a, a, a new relatively speaking, dynamic in all of this. And I think uh, what, you know, again, what happens is the bosses see these terrible comments that are being made. They're, you know, 90% of them are wrong. I'm not even gonna say they're untrue, they're just wrong um, and their opinion. And you're right, they're speculating. And so so the, the quality of what's being out, put out there isn't necessarily good. Um, I, I think the important thing to do is have somebody evaluate it. Look at what. It's, look at who's saying it. Is it three people arguing with each other? Is it you know the same five people sharing things? Because that really does make a difference. That's that's one of the first things that we do when we look at social you know in these in these issues. Look at what's how are things trending? How are they tracking? Who's pushing it? Is it getting um, shared? Is it getting retweeted? Where is it going? Um, I've been the victim of it a couple of times in my career based on my you know, clients that I deal with because they're such high profile and they're usually uh, you know, emotional and they're traumatic. And, um, and I've been pulled into things. 99% of what has been said about me is simply not true. And so you have to make the decision. You know, you know, the, I went back and I had somebody look, who's saying it? Who's, you know, who's pushing it out there? And that helps you decide whether you need to pay attention to it for weeks ahead or will it die down? Because generally um, the social media, the, the, the chatter 
um, goes away. It really does go away. It peaks, it goes for a day or two, it peaks, and then, it, and then they move on to something else. And people jump on there that have nothing to do with the issue. They don't know anything about the issue or the people involved, and they just comment because it, it feels good. And that's, that's the world that we live in. So that's where you go back and weigh um, long range. How are we gonna be impacted by this? Can we ignore it? And sometimes you can. So again, yeah. each one's different. So yeah, the- follow-ups to that real quick. From a, um, from a company statement perspective, how important is it for the head of the organization to be the person making the statement and uh, you know, kind of sharing the position of the organization. Number one and number two, what is like, what is the right amount of time, right? And I, I understand it's going to vary from case to case, but but I guess what I'm asking is like, how long is too long to wait before an organization makes a statement in in, in general? Yeah, I think in general, 48 hours is a really long. That can be a, a you know a lifetime. I think uh, within the first 24 hours is helpful. If there's a and it depends because you know much of the you know I've worked on a lot of um, events where there's huge loss of life. Um, it really is important in those kinds of events for somebody at the highest level, generally the CEO, to come out and and you know provide comfort. Joe Joe Biden, the, you know comforter in chief. I actually was in the room when. Uh, President Obama and Vice President Biden came to visit the survivors of the Pulse shooting. And I, I, can't, I can't speak of any more extraordinary event to, to see leaders spend the time that they did with, with um, all these kids. But um, in something like this, like if it's a case of a, of a, a sexual battery accusation, um, that's a tough place for a CEO to come out in the immediate because that falls under his, that's his business. Is he allowing that? And so it's a reflection on on him. Um, I think Mark Cuban did a great job back with the Mavericks when there was that issues, uh, those kinds of issues came up. And, you know, I think he was very believable saying he was unaware of the executive that was in charge. I think it was his general manager that was, you know, uh, accused of all that. And Cuban came in um, and said, didn't know about it. He should have. So he's at fault for that. But he says he didn't. He was, you know, in tears and then said, we are implementing these um, new policies and practices, and then they did it. So there is a, there is a recovery, but so, it, so in something like that, um, it's very effective, but it's, you know, in a racial, in a racial issue, um, like, like this case with this young lady, um, I, I kind of think it would be kind of interesting to see the head of ESPN come in and say, look, you know, she made a comment, um, we, you know, we're offended by what she said. We, we maybe disagree with her perspective. Um, and, uh, but, but we accept that she, that she said it and we're going to take a look internally and see if we can fix our own house. But for now she stays on the job. Right. She didn't do anything wrong. That it, would be kind of remarkable. That, and, and that seems like a good way to handle it, honestly. Yeah, right. right. But they didn't do that. Hey, you know, Kevin, I, yeah. I want to go back away from sports and, away from corporations and, and the Parkland issue. I mean, that's heavy, intense, um, and, and just tough. Can you tell us a little bit about the work there, who was involved, how you handle it, and as a comms professional, what your role was? Well, I would tell you this, and I've never talked about it publicly, so um, I'll probably get um, – people listening to your podcast, I'll probably get some you know, backlash, but I was called the day after the shooting and 
you know, and I had worked, I have this unique um, uh, history of, I've worked five mass shootings. Oh. Um, I, I worked on Pulse. I still work, I still work with Barbara Palmer, the owner. Um, I'm friends with her now. Um, so I've worked, I've worked many of these. There, there, I've, I've worked in so many of different events with loss of life or serious injury. And they're just, they're tragic. It's the worst thing that you can deal with. Um, they called me the day after the shooting. I said I could come down. They were in Fort Lauderdale. They're only about two and a half hours away from me. Um, they did not hire me then. They brought on, uh, I think they had an insurance company uh, crisis person. I'm doing air quotes. Um, and then they had another person and they had a couple of other people before me. Um, and nobody was able to get it organized and get them on track. Their issue, I think, and I think the internal team would agree with me and um, they, they probably won't love that I say this, they, they had a really bad relationship with the local media market there to begin with. And when, um, when I came on board, it had been, I think about six or seven weeks, maybe eight, maybe you know month and a half after the um, tragedy. And so I came in and the first thing that I advised them was bring them, I got to see what they were getting from news media. And certainly they were getting media from around the world, but they were also getting, but the local media was really what was most important because that's who they had relationships with. They were bad relationships, but that's who they knew. And the local media wasn't very, very nice to the internal comms team because they had a bad relationship. And the um, internal team wasn't very cooperative. They were resistant to telling anything, providing information to um, the media. And that just got worse and worse and worse. I came in and I, and I've, I've told you guys, I, um, I have this podcast called Stop Talking, but I also have little business cards that I, when clients are going on too much, I hold it up so that it says stop talking. They know, you know, you're saying too much, you've said enough. Um, and so when I came down there, so media makes fun of me. My uh, first recommendation was bring these local media in to your house. Let them see what you're doing. Let them see what you're getting and how overwhelmed you are because they only had a staff of three. And they weren't prepared, they weren't trained in crisis response. So they had no support, they had no training, they had no experience, um, and, they were, uh, and they were devastated by the actual event. Um, and they had a superintendent who was a lovely man who was going out immediately talking to media and saying things that he wasn't necessarily certain of. Um, mm. He wasn't lying, but he, but he hadn't necessarily gotten things confirmed. And so there's misinformation going. So of course, you know, media, they're ticked off, they're offended and they're, um, they're gonna come and start digging and that's what they did. And then they started talking to other people, ex-employees. And so, you know, people that had a grudge started sharing information. I'm not sure it was true. So it just snowballed and got worse and worse and worse. So they could never get ahead of it. Um, and it got worse and worse. And then the, the, um, the, public's interest in what led up to this man shooting, you know, getting on campus and shooting. And then you've got all these families that are devastated, they're grief stricken, they want answers. And it, the interesting thing that happened in, in that community is uh, they uh, two, over time, two parents who lost children in that tragedy got elected to the school board. And um, so they became the superintendent's boss. Mm. And, I, and I'll tell you, I've never talked about this publicly. I'll share, I'll share it now because um, they uh, have been, you know, they've talked publicly. Um, when in the first week and a half that I got there, uh, so this had been going on for a while, I talked to the communications director internally who I adore. 
and respect tremendously. And uh, I said that um, superintendent was not going to survive this. The politics is too big. He can't survive this. And so we talked it out. I told her what he should do. We went to him and told him that. And I said, so my recommendation, I think you should resign. And you can do so with integrity and you can do so and say that you're doing it for the community good because it would have been helpful to the grieving parents. Again, let's talk about doing the right thing for the community. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. These families are hurting. There is nothing harder to see. Um, I don't care what families say. Um, you have to just allow them to say and think and believe what they want because their child, their loved one has been taken from them. So I said, if you resign and say, I'm doing this because I don't agree with the parents who feel that I'm at fault for this, but I do understand their grief. Um, and I feel that this would be a, 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 the best thing to do for the community and for the families, especially, and in honor of their, their lost loved ones, so, something like that. Right. And he said, he said, no. And he said he was going to stay there for the community. And so, you know, speed up to now it's been two and a half, three years. Um, I guess two months ago, uh, somebody texted me a little story and he had been arrested and charged with perjury by the uh, Florida Department of Law Enforcement mm -hmm. in relation to their investigation about this incident and what this, you know, what led up to the shooting. Um, where was the school, you know, what was the school's responsibility and, and all that. Um, and, and so I don't know what, I, I found him to be a lovely man. I find it hard to believe that he would lie because um, he never lied when I was dealing with him. We, I just felt like he was saying things that he wasn't certain of. So he gets arrested uh, and then he makes big, uh, bad PR mistake. Uh, the next day he does a little press conference and he has the school board logo in front of him and he says I'm not stepping down I'm staying for the good of the mm. community I've committed to the good of the community and for the students and you know all of that pretty much what I thought he should say as he stepped down and I just thought that press press conference was the kiss of death and literally I think four hours later the board sent him on his way so they allowed him to resign um, and so he will he's no longer the school superintendent so Two years, two and a half years later, he did not survive. Mm. And um, so that's that's some of the drama. So so there was all this bad stuff written about me for other stupid stuff. You can Google it. I'm sure everybody will. Um, and but one of the things that um, happened after that is um, I um, talked to a couple of the parents. They called me to find out um, kind of what I had said or done. And. Uh, I had to explain to them what I do for a living and how I did it. So I was able to talk to a couple of the parents who reached out to me and they were lovely. Um, but I think honestly, he was such a target of just an emotional nightmare. And he, he you know, if he had stepped down a couple of years ago, he'd been employable uh, and he would be recognized as somebody that took a bold step and did the right thing. Um, and instead now he's got uh, an arrest a record uh he'll maybe the charges will be dropped it seems like a kind of a it looks like that could happen um but who's going to hire him now right. yeah sometimes falling on the sword you know being that sacrificial lamb is is a uh is the right move it's the right communication activity to do yeah. right well, and, yeah and and so one so one of the things um so media had written about me a little bit and and about all of this they they you know like a year after they were doing a follow up in the story on on kind of everything and one of the things they were so mad and so with my my whole stop talking theme 
they called and asked me and I was still working for them. So it, so it had to be a couple of months. But, um, and they said, did I tell everybody at the, um, in the district to stop talking? And, and I couldn't answer because they were my client. But the truth is, no, I tried to get them to talk. I wanted these reporters to be invited in. I wanted them to see the volume of uh, media coverage and demand for information that this cast of three people was, was dealing with 24 seven. They weren't equipped for it. Um, and I wanted them because I thought if if media saw how how big this is and how bad they might understand a little bit. And I thought if if the if the team, the communications team could just be a nice host and accept that the media is doing their job, they're asking hard questions because that's what they do. We want them to do that. Um, and and if you have a good rapport and treat them with respect, they'll treat you with respect. That just it just it is. That, that's just the way it is. Um, that, and, that, and they didn't want to do access, it. So. Yeah, that access and transparency can go a long way toward earning mm -hmm. some goodwill with the media that, uh, you know, with the media. So I, I think that's that's great guidance. I, you know, Dave, I know we, uh, we want to switch gears and get into something a little lighter in terms of the subject matter, but I just, can we wrap up this portion of the conversation, Sarah, with some some kind of general guidance? I mean, it, it strikes me, it seems to me that companies, organizations should be more prepared for this stuff than they seem to be. Right. So what do you recommend? I mean, should, should organizations say to themselves, hey, we're not facing an issue today along these lines, but we might, and we need to get, we need to start thinking now about how we're gonna deal with it. Should they begin to think through those things today before these kinds of things come up, uh, what are some kind of best practices for being prepared for something that might, uh, that might happen like this? Um, I would tell you, first of all, first thing, you know, uh, having a PR team, uh, it, it matters to have a communications team and it matters to have that communications person be close with, have a good rapport, respectful rapport with the leader, leadership team, they should be at the table. Um, so that's the number one that fundamentally um, that that it needs to be in place. Uh, and I would all I would also say I say this to everybody, because if you look at Pulse nightclub, that's just a little club that was, you know, had a unique following and it was owned by a husband and a wife. And um, they became a, the, an international story. So they, everybody needs to understand it can happen to you if you're a small restaurant, if you're a major corporation, it can happen. Um, I think people are naive and organizations are naive. No, we're well run. We're well, you know, we, we take care of ourselves and we, we run a great operation. So to un have, have that self-awareness um, is, is critical. And then to have a, you know, kind of a five-step plan on when something happens, who gets called, who, what's, you know, um, who is told what, who stops talking um, and have that five-step uh, guideline in for everybody to be aware of, um, but also to just pay attention. If you see, you know, your communications people, pay attention to what's happening in other industries or your own industry, because if something's happening to, uh, you know, a, a horse farm in Ocala, uh, it could be happening in, you know, to your horse farm in Kentucky. So those, you know, pay attention to what's happening in, in your industry. Uh, it's super easy for a local reporter to see something in another state and another community and come and turn on you. So yeah. I think it's a big, uh, a big key to is uh, self-awareness. Thank you for that. And thank you for sharing our story, your story. Uh, it's great to hear. And I think it applies to a lot of the work that we do because every 
comms person has a little bit of has to deal with a crisis sooner or later. Usually, if you're in a corporation, it's personnel or or scandal of some yeah. sort. Yeah. yeah. All right, uh, we've got to switch gears uh, a little heavier than we normally do, but thank you for sharing that story again. So it, we don't do this show, Sarah, without playing some games. Uh, and love it. <laughs> we, we we try to make VR a little bit fun because. You know, this industry often takes itself too seriously, as we say at the top of the show. And the game master is Mr. Kevin Wolf. Kevin, what do you got going on today? I, I got a couple. I don't know, Dave. I, I think I'm a little weak today. But <laughs> I, I wanted to try. I got a couple. And, and in the spirit of the conversation we've been having today, we're going to call this first game Five Alarm Fire or Cat in a Tree. So when a crisis hits, uh, you know, not all crises crises are created equally. Sometimes they are five alarm fires where you got to send, you know, all, all the engines and you need all the ladders and all the personnel and it's all hands on deck. And then sometimes the crises are, you know, there's a cat in the tree. Like, you know, we could probably, you know, this isn't too serious. We can handle this one. So what I'm going to do is I, I found a few headlines from this week and I'm going to throw them out to the two of you. And you guys tell me, is it a five alarm fire? Is it a cat in the tree? Is it somewhere in the middle? How serious is it from a crisis communications perspective? Make sense? Yeah. Okay. Sarah, this first one is for you. Uh, U.S. gas prices expected to rise significantly. So if you are the uh, oil and gas industry, how serious a communication issue is this for you? Cat in a tree. Happens oh, all the really? time. Happens all the time. Okay, that's interesting. Um, yeah, total, total cat in the tree. I mean, it may go really? down this winter. I, you know yeah. what? I worked in cable, and every year cable rates go up, and you know, so it happens all the time. People are upset, and they move on. They'll move on. All right, that's interesting. I, I mean, the, the the prices are pretty high. I'm out here in California. Uh, I think I paid you know five and a half bucks a gallon uh, and filling up. <laughs> so I, I was Never I was mind. like at three alarms. I think I was at like three alarms when I saw that. But uh, that's a good one. Okay, Dave, you take this next one. Uh, Tesla factory worker reports racism. Yeah, give me the race card one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, and I just clicked on the story because I had not heard about it, and apparently, okay. yeah, you know, the, the uh, headline says somebody was called the N word one hundred times by coworkers. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. Uh, that that's at least a three alarm fire, five alarm fire. I, you know, and this is one where you you take Sarah's advice and figure out what happened. You talk to the person who had it, who was the victim of these racist remarks. And ask them what they want to do, right, Sarah? I think I'm yeah. learning lessons here. And you better uh, you better do it quickly too, because I think yeah. to Sarah's point before as well, like you don't have a lot of time. Yeah, you don't have a lot of time to stew on this. You got to look into that matter right away because that three alarm could become a uh, you know the whole house is on fire. Pretty yeah, quickly. yeah. Starbucks had that. Remember Starbucks? You know they dinked around too. Right, right. You gotta you gotta move quickly. All right, Sarah, you take this next one here. Uh, I think I'm saying the name of this company right, Kaseya. Kasaya, their tech company, Kasaya ransomware attack. Uh, this was in the news this past week. It was similar to the SolarWinds attack where basically this software company's uh, software was, um, you know, was broken into essentially by uh, what appears to be like a, a Russian ransomware gang and uh, infiltrated a bunch of companies and, and holding their data for ransom. So Sarah, how big a deal is this for Kasaya? Uh, I think it's a five 
for that's a five alarm fire um yeah. Yeah. sarah you know i think the whole issue of ransomware is a, a three alarm fire for the united states and businesses we got to get a handle on that yeah. so yeah. yeah that's that's a pretty serious one and i think it's you know it, it's uh rising in the ranks i think it's on its way to being a four alarm fire out of the gate uh if, if it's not uh if it's not already. All right. So Dave, you take it. Here's an easy one for you. Um, Kim Kardashian wiped out while wakeboarding and there's pictures online on Buzzfeed. She was uh, in a lake somewhere and it's, that is not a flattering picture we're looking at here. She's getting crushed by a, uh, by, by a wake uh, falling off a board. So Dave, is this uh, from, from Kim Kardashian's perspective in terms of her brand, is this one, two, three, four, five alarms? Where are we at? Well, it's a cat in a tree, man, even if it's that. I'm looking at that photo right now, and it looks real ridiculous. And she posts this stuff all the time. It doesn't matter what happens to her. <laughs> so, so ridiculous. Her, she's dressed. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. That's a lot of gear she's wearing. Like a life. <laughs> might, maybe the other way. Maybe this is good news, right? You know, you, you got to keep your name in the press. That's, uh, that, that's yeah. a big deal. All news is good news, even for Kim yeah. Kardashian, maybe. Yeah. Uh, all right, we got uh, we got one more in this game. Uh, Sarah recalled Tyson chicken, uh, apparently sold by major retailers. Uh, I think it's Dave. You can click on the story there, but I think it was uh, sold by Target, Walmart. Am I getting that right? There were uh, yeah, yeah, Kroger. and Publix, yeah, for Listeria. Publix, I'm here. The Publix is it. That, that's your neighborhood, isn't it, Sarah? Publix yeah, is your grocery yeah. store. I, yeah. I just bought chicken there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Have a long fire. Take it out of your fridge. <laughs> I'm throw it up in the tree with the cat. Right. Um, uh, well, I mean, that's always, it's always a, a three or a four. That's a, you know, they, they got to jump on that for sure. They, but they're, yeah. but they're, you know, they've had those before. So it's not a, it's kind of a, that's one that one would be expected. They're, they're prepared for those. Well, Sarah, that's where you have the crisis communications playbook right there. Right. That happens all the time. You have your canned statements. Uh, you have your canned media outlets and who's going to talk and say you prepare for this ahead of time. Right, so. right. Makes sense. Um, all right. So I've I, I got two more quick ones. Dave, we'll, we'll skip the dumb stuff, uh, if you don't mind. We'll go to the, the one person's crisis is, a, is another person's treasure. So Kim so Kardashian speak. wasn't dumb stuff. <laughs> point, point taken uh, terrible terrible headline uh you're absolutely right so so maybe we'll add this one over here but so you know uh it strikes me that sometimes there's a, a crisis quote unquote and it involves a celebrity uh and you know sometimes a celebrity uh, takes advantage and turns it into you know uh one person's crisis is another person's treasure and and so a good example of that and i was wondering if you guys had any others this isn't quite a game as much as it is i'm wondering if you have any other uh, examples of this but i remember hugh grant the actor uh several years ago probably 15 20 years ago at this point in hollywood <clears throat> was uh was arrested for solicitation right for soliciting a a prostitute and you know on its face you would think jesus is bad news for hugh grant and, you know, no sooner was he arrested than I think it was the night after or a couple nights after he's on the Jay Leno show. Right. And, and it, it became a gimmick and, and a, you know, and he used it essentially to, uh, you know, to drum up publicity for himself and and kind of turn it uh, to his advantage. So I'm wondering if, if either of you have any other examples of, uh, you know, one person's crisis is another person's uh, celebrity or, or publicity opportunity. Donald Trump's uh, suing Facebook, Twitter, and others to 
raise money. <laughs> they, you know, that, right. that lawsuit that came in yesterday. Right. So, so he's using that to his advantage, turning it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. I would say, uh, I would think Britney Spears is interesting to watch right now. Oh, okay. Um, Tell us about that. You know, That's a good one. Well, like because that. she's had nothing but crisis. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. And, you know, I think um, she's been, I think my impression of her years ago from, you know, the shaving of their head and the other thing, you know, like she's got, you know, she's got some mental health issues, but then you see her now on Instagram. Cause I started following her Instagram to watch, to see how she communicates with her fans. And she's really smart about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's, and she's kind of, she does some things that are kind of quirky and, you know, might be seen as kind of crazy. Um, but I think they actually are endearing. And I think she's been able to, to sort of shift that, narrative a little bit and come off as I'm not crazy. I'm a victim of all of these people. And, um, you know, she's refusing to work so that they can't make any more money. I, I think she's done a pretty good job of turning her crisis into something. Well, and, and, and this is the individual taking advantage of the, or the organizing of a boycott or in her case, organizing of a movement of free Britney. She right. knows that there's momentum out there and there's public opinion and she's smartly swaying public opinion her way from bald-headed Britney to Britney that's trapped. Yeah, so I agree with you on that one. So she's, she's doing a good job there. Yeah, I mean, that that is, it's a communications tactic, right? So how do you take what is on its face, you know, negative press and turn it to to your advantage? And, and I wonder if they're being counseled. I'm, I'm sure Britney has access to or support from communications folks that are perhaps guiding her in that or else she's I'm not sure. well she i don't think she maybe does it's intuitive sure maybe she does no i don't think she does i think the whole thing is uh, you should That's watch the free then, right I mean, you should you should watch the free britney documentary i didn't want to watch it but hey i got new respect for that woman so you know i didn't want to watch it either but i did and it was fascinating it really yeah. was a really interesting story and you know her manager just quit yeah um longtime manager and then her the the attorney i guess handling the conservatorship he also quit um and he's the one that had been outed in the documentary because he had gotten more money and more money you see them profiting off all of this so i think she's outed these you know her dad has been outed he's still there but i think she's done kind of an interesting job turning this around on her own it seems like somewhere along the way yeah from a communication yeah. standpoint. Um, all right, good. Any other uh, examples uh, of, of people who took uh, potentially crisis type situations and turned them? I think, I think those, those are good ones. Okay. Those are good ones. Good. Well, let's hit the last, uh, uh, mm-hmm. last game of the day and then, uh, and then we'll, then we'll uh, let Sarah get back to uh, helping people out of their crisis situations. But <laughs> we call this one rep fire refer and so the way it works, Sarah, is uh, I'm going to say we're going to say three entities in this case or three things in this case. And you're going to decide from a comm standpoint, would you want to rep? Which one of those do you want to represent? Which one would you refer to uh, to a colleague or and which one would you fire? Rep, fire and refer. So, Gosh. Uh, yeah, and you, you got to choose one for each. So. Uh, so today we're going to go with Major League Baseball and based on specifically based on the Trevor Bauer situation. Uh, we're going to go with ESPN based on the Rachel Nichols, Maria Taylor situation. And then just for for kicks, uh, birthday parties, which are getting a bad rap uh, this week because uh, there was an article in The New York Times talking about how they were uh, super spreader events over the past year for COVID. So uh, you have to rep, fire, and refer Major League Baseball, ESPN, and birthday parties. Ah! <laughs> birthday parties. 
Actually, you can't have fun anymore. <laughs> no, you can't. You gotta be, you know, everybody's nervous. Um, I would, I'd love to rep ESPN for Ooh. sure. Yeah, I think they've got an opportunity there that they could do, you know, maybe the time has passed, but I think that's a, that they have an opportunity. Um, MLB, I'd refer, I, you know, I don't. Give it to Kevin. <laughs> the guy's a Dodger player that's in trouble. Yeah. Dodgers are sketchy anyway. I think I got to be. Yeah. I know what to do. Okay. What was my other option? Let's see. Birthday uh, parties. You're firing birthday parties. I fire birthday parties. There. Wow. Sarah, thank you for playing and thank you for sharing your insights and your personal stories. Uh, I know those mean a lot to you, and that's not easy work. And you know, a lot of us in comms don't do that. We're stuck with corporations and, you know, while they have people too, the issues are different. So thank you for sharing your stories and thank you for coming on board with such short notice. Now that we know each other, let's stay in touch, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm a fan of your podcast. Well, let me just, let me just say this because of the type of work that I do, because um, I, I always say this to everybody. I like, I like people to know this um, because I'm usually working with victims and um, I all, it is, always my privilege for them to bring me into their worst days of their lives and to allow me to help them navigate forward because it's just a terrible path they have to walk. So I consider it a privilege and, um, and I'm really grateful for, for all that I've been allowed to do. So. Makes sense, Sarah. And we, we can find you, uh, people can find you online at Sarah Brady, Sarah Brady PR.com, right? Yes, sir. Good. Check her out. She can help you. Um, and by the way, reach out before you get into trouble. <laughs> right. yeah. Never too Good soon. advice. Yeah. Sarah, you were terrific. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. All right. I don't think we're having a show next week. Kevin, I think I'm on holiday. You are out too, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. We're going right, to so. come back the following. All right. Again, thank you again, Sarah. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We will be back soon enough. Take care. qui font baisser les miens un rire qui se perd sur sa bouche voilà le portrait sans retouche de l'homme auquel j'appartiens quand il me prend dans ses bras qu'il me parle tout bas je vois la vie en rond